Rusty Quill presents. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Walking. I hadn't been cold inside of the cave, but being out in the warm summer air demonstrated how cool the cave interior had been. Because caves are shielded from the weather, their internal temperature will reflect the average year-round temperature of the place that they are located. I didn't feel hot now that I was outside of the cave on the surface either. I walked west, with the sun setting in front of me. I say that I walked because I was moving with my feet in a westward direction but the terrain was mountainous and uneven, so I was often doing things in addition to walking, climbing, leaping over small gaps, and pulling myself up with my hands. The word mountainous conjures too specific a platonic ideal, one of white-tipped peaks and enormous altitudes. Instead, I found myself on a landscape of bare rocks, crags, and boulders, of modest slopes and modest heights, geologically speaking, though they presented me with a small challenge in regards to climbing. The boulders were occasionally dotted with lichens and separated by scrawny patches of grass and a skinny tree or two. The sun beat down heavily, radiating the surface and limiting the potential for organic life. Though I had left the cave, 
I passed smaller pockets in the rock as I walked and climbed. These were caves as well, though their size did not invoke the concept of spaciousness that the cave that I had been in had typified. Hollow is a word that one might use. Life on the surface was concentrated inside of these hollows, where organisms had the dark and the damp to convert into energy. I did not linger in these spaces, as I was neither hot enough nor dry enough to find them alluring. Lucy kept running ahead of me. I was not in control of her. I was not her owner. Lucy was on a leash, but she wasn't on my leash. She was on the longest leash in the world, which she had been attached to by Raphael Muslani, airport novelist. I suppose that I could have picked up the part of the leash that intersected with my path and used it to constrain Lucy, but the thought never occurred to me. I did not need her to be directly beside me. She was accompanying me whether she was beside me or not. Lucy would run further up the rocks in front of us. There was no path guiding our movements for her to run upon. Her size, being the largest cat in the world, and her physique allowing her to bound up and down the boulders with ease, staying far enough ahead of me to be out of my sight for an hour or two at a time, only to return to me unexpectedly, having tired of adventuring on her own. Each time, she would return with a gift. A shiny mineral, a leaf, a fish skull, though I never found a body of water, and finally, a book, faded in the sun and with the title page removed. I held on to them all. It would have been rude not to. I was tempted to read the book as I walked, but the terrain was too demanding. Reading Oh God, I Am Larry while walking on flat ground was simple enough, but I often found myself needing both of my hands to pull myself up. The faded type and the missing cover ensured that I wouldn't know a single thing about the book until I had time to sit down and study it. The sun was becoming orange and threatening to sink beneath the boulders when I found a spot to stop for the night. I ascended slowly for some time before finding yet another enclave, this one taller and wider than the others I had passed. The inside was not immediately visible. Instead, there were two tall, ornate wooden doors attached to the opening by hinges. In the center was an equally ornate golden door knocker. I picked up the door knocker and used it to rap on the door three times. One of the doors slid open gracefully, despite its considerable size, a testament to the engineering of its hinges. Cold air seeped out and into the warm evening. Eliza, finally here for your evening visit. Raphael Muslani smiled widely at me. He was wearing pajamas, clearly preparing himself for bed. And Lucy too. How's my girl doing? Well behaved, I hope. Please do come in before the cool air gets out. He ushered me and Lucy inside and closed the door behind us. Raphael's home was largely the work of human engineering, not natural development. This indention in the rock was originally as shallow as any of the others, but a tremendous amount of industrial chiseling later, it had been expanded into the size of a luxurious home. If one looked closely enough, one could see where the original volume of the rock feature ended and the human construction began. The walls and ceiling were composed of exposed gray rock the ceiling being high enough not to feel claustrophobic inside of this entirely indoor space. Wooden bookshelves lined the walls of the foyer, which Raphael led me through and into the rest of the house. Your usual routine, I suppose. No dinner and a good night's rest, Raphael asked, leading me down a hallway. It's late for dinner anyway. Yes, I'd like to rest, I said. I wasn't hungry. I wouldn't have it any other way, he said. He opened a door to his right, exposing a modest bedroom nook, a bed and a writing desk. 
We have arrived, he said, and gestured with his arm that I was free to enter. Lucy waltzed past Raphael and I and into the bedroom, gracefully leapt onto the bed, turned in a circle three times, and eventually laid down, satisfied with her nesting ritual. There is no cat bed here, Raphael explained. The largest cat bed in the world is at my other home. I hope this is alright. She really won't be a bother. I don't mind. She's been a good companion, I replied. I'm glad to hear that, Raphael said. I will leave you to your dreams. I eagerly await breakfast in the morning. I'm starved for interesting conversation around here. He shut the door behind him as he left, the longest leash in the world still attached to Lucy and running under the door. I immediately lay down under the covers and fell asleep, Lucy purring reassuringly beside me. That night, I dreamt that the boulders that I had been climbing and walking across had once been part of an enormous megalithic structure built by a mysterious Stone Age society. In the dream, the land that I had been walking on had been completely flat, and the stones were built into enormous and intricate arrangements. They towered over the landscape, and curved and twisted in intricate ways that seemed to defy gravity. At sunset, the sun lowered itself into a bowl-shaped structure on top of a tower created from a single enormous carved stone. The orange light from the sun spilled down into the bowl and turned into an orange liquid, which flowed down the tower through a series of pipes and filled another bowl at the bottom of the tower. There were people at the bottom of the tower, scooping the orange liquid up into jars. One of these people at the base of the tower saw me watching them and ushered me over. I cannot define this person, whose features changed every time I tried to focus on them. I greeted him and he greeted me, in our different languages. The man was not deterred by our lack of common tongue. He called out to the others and proudly announced my presence. I could tell by their response that they were proud to have a visitor. One of them brought me a jar full of the orange liquid and indicated that I should drink from it. It was tasteless, but it burned warmly in my stomach, the same way that alcohol does, though I did not feel drunk. They smiled at me as I drank from the jar. After I had my fill of the orange liquid, the man who first noticed me led me to the inside of a circular stone structure. The sky was now dark, and the night formed a tight-fitting dome over the structure, as though it were adhering to the top of the stone towers, with the stars snapped into place on the top of the dome. In the center of the stone circle was a writing desk, similar to the one that had been in the bedroom nook that Raphael was letting me stay in. The man led me to the desk and gestured for me to sit down, which I did without trepidation. On the desk was a quill and a piece of parchment. I don't know how to write with a quill, I explained. He looked at me, welcoming smile still on his face. He hadn't understood what I had said to him. He didn't know that I didn't know how to write with a quill. I had actually never seen anyone write with a quill in person. I knew the depictions of writing with a quill, though I had never seen a quill. I had only seen images of a quill. I had only seen the words that constitute the signifier of quillness. Characters writing with quills. The word quill. The sound object quill. Not wanting to disappoint, I dipped the end of the quill in the inkwell on the desk. When I pulled it out, the quill's tip was wet with the orange liquid that I had imbibed earlier that evening with the people at the base of the tower. I held the quill as comfortably as I could in my writing hand with what I was sure was poor form. I put the tip of the quill to the parchment and began to write. I wrote a purring noise onto the parchment. 
I did not write an onomatopoetic approximation of purring onto the parchment. I did not write in a Latin script or in any script at all. I wrote the noise itself onto the parchment. I wrote the purring onto the parchment. The sound of the quill against the parchment did not make a purring noise. The parchment did not make a purring noise. Nothing made a purring noise. I wrote a purring noise with the quill dipped into the sun liquid onto the parchment. When I looked up, the man who brought me there was seated in a chair on the opposite side of the writing desk. He also had a quill dipped in the orange liquid. The man was writing on the opposite end of the parchment, upside down relative to my writing. He wrote a purring noise onto the parchment. The purring noise was upside down, but it was still orange. It was still tingling and warm in the way that alcohol is. I could tell that he was writing a purring noise even though his noise was upside down. We continued to write on the same parchment at the same time, time that I lost perspective of. This is where we write this. Consider an infinite series of stone structures in all directions for every combination of written sound. The standing stones are oriented so that the stars can direct you to the next room, and the next one, and the next, in any direction for any amount of time. It is not necessary or even possible to visit every room. We are writing because we are writing. When we cease writing, we will no longer be writing. And the sun will still fill up the inkwell and our stomachs, and we will write when we write, and we will not write when we do not write. We will never be depleted or overfull. The man across from me did not say this. He did not write it. We wrote a purring noise on the parchment, not together, but simultaneously. I understood that these megalithic structures were going to eventually collapse and populate the flat ground until the stones ceased being a man-made feature and resumed being a natural feature of the earth. The landscape no longer considered flat due to the quantity and orientation of fallen rocks. There would be a space somewhere, deep inside this stochastic pile of stones, that a slip of parchment with a purring noise written onto it would be pinned between any number of enormous boulders, those boulders themselves crushed by the weight of the stones above them. And for every stone, a parchment. Parchment broken into its constituent atoms by the force of gravity, dissolved into rainwater that made its way through the cracks all the way down to the bottom, fed on by organisms converting the organic fibers of the parchment and the orange liquid from the sun into viable organic energy, a process these organisms could use to power a search for even more energy until they were subsumed by even more organisms. There was not an explanation for why the stones fell, not inside of myself or inside of the man or anywhere else. There was no reckoning in which this society fell from grace and had its legacy destroyed. There was no cataclysm. No one was crushed underneath the weight of falling boulders. No one fled in terror. No fire. No brimstone. There was only an inevitability between now and then, where once upright stones must fall. Now, being at any point sufficiently far enough from then in time to prove this inevitability of the entropic motions of the stones and everything else. No one mourned a loss of this place. By the time the stones had fallen, they were no longer monuments. People were not writing noises inside of them. The people were doing whatever they were doing somewhere else. 
there was sentimentality by those who once populated the spaces and those who came later and discovered their remains, but there was no mourning. I woke up gradually, the reality of Raphael's guest bedroom supplanting the content of the dream about the megaliths, the images of the stones falling mixed with the warmth of the bedsheets, of the gray pillowcase against the side of my face, the stones softening and enveloping me, the warmth of the outdoors traded for the insular warmth of body heat reverberating against bedsheets. I opened my eyes, feeling nourished from the rest. There was no outside light in my tiny bedroom nook. There was no clock in the room. I could not tell how much time had passed. I sat up in Rafael Muslani's guest bedroom and looked down at my side. Lucy had left at some point in the night. I could see the indent in the covers where she had been pressed against my side, but it was devoid of her actual presence. I looked over to the door. The door was still closed. There was nothing to indicate that anyone had entered or cracked open the door during the night. The longest leash in the world no longer trailed into the room under the door. Lucy had left and taken the leash with her. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.